Uh, testing. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Yeah, we good. Okay. Wait, which mic are you, Dave? Okay, never mind. I figured you out. I'm an orange one. <laughs> no, it's based off of numbers. Yeah, I know. Um, awesome. Cool. Okay. Live. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the MSG Podcast. As always, we're your hosts. I'm David. I'm Trey. Why do we keep doing this? I don't know. That's It's professional. No, it's not. Anyway, back to... <laughs> Like, they already know who we are. Yeah, but I mean, we've been doing the podcast. We might for... get somebody else from France or wherever that is, and they—they they, they don't know who we they are. They don't care who we are. They might. They, no, they, they might. don't. They won't want to hear an intro every single time. Well, we're not going to do that. Does Joe Rogan have an intro? <laughs> yeah, I think he does. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I don't want to be Joe Rogan. Ah, uh, okay, cool. All right, let's get back on to what you were talking about. Okay, so today Technology. we're confronting essentially the issue of the original sin, which. Going back all those years to Adam and Eve, which is, you can boil it down to its core component, which is pride, essentially. The believing ourselves to be more important than we are, to, to elevating the created over the creator, is essentially the whole point of pride. Um, believing ourselves to be more important. Um, and choosing our own will and our own wants over one, the wants of others, but ultimately over the wants of God for each of us. Because it, it's a, I mean, that's standard Christian doctrine. If you do everything that God wants you to do and you fulfill his plan that he has laid out for you, you're going to be perfectly happy. There's, there's going to be things that you encounter in your life that you wouldn't normally think would bring you happiness. But if you're living completely in accordance with his plan, it becomes obvious to you that you know okay through the situation i can do other things that will bring about maybe happiness for somebody else and that in itself is a fulfillment for yourself yeah that's a very roundabout way of saying god's plan for you is the absolute best and the sin was thinking that we could plan our lives better than god could who is omnipotent and omnipresent and he, he knows the what's omnis. going on yeah all the omnis. he is the omni <laughs> <laughs> well, but I agree so the that that was all preface to to bleed into essentially the the point I was thinking about this week is you know that original sin is echoed in every person's life to some extent, but in everybody's it it is echoed i mean from the the very beginning when you're born uh you know babies cry because they want stuff and they want it now, and the parents they snap too and they they do it. Well, one, because the baby is helpless, but two, that baby, in crying and yelling and screaming, it can't communicate any other way, but it's enforcing its will. It, its will is to eat right now. It wants it now. You know, I, I'm tired. I'm going to scream. So it's like at the very yeah. beginning you're doing that stuff. When you grow up a little bit more, you, you start trying to break away from your parents. So, like, as you're a toddler, you start getting... Uh, disobeying your parents and yeah. little things when you're a teenager you Rebellious really start phase. trying to yeah. Yeah, yeah rebellion in general especially from your your parental figures it's a direct relation to that it's a perfect mirror of our action against god because in our core heart we believe that we can do things for ourselves better than anybody else can do for us and uh that's quite the fallacy if everybody was lucid when they were going through those situations, they would probably say, okay, our parents know what's going on. Like, we might not agree with everything they're doing, but they were able to raise us and put us in a situation that is safe in most cases, you know. There's always ex extraneous situations that aren't 
they don't fall into the norm. But all this boils down to what I was thinking about, which is phones. Like, what, what's the issue with phones today? Everybody seems to be kind of addicted to them at some stage. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to figure out, oh, why? why? Why is it such an addictive thing? And I think at some level, it's like, it's like an, an extension of our will. Because, like, with a phone, you can, so long as you're in, in range, you know, signal, yeah. you can look up whatever you want whenever you want. And the faster that signal is, the faster your, your device is, the faster your will is fulfilled. So it's like, okay, I want to look up pictures of cats. That's a, that's a pretty uh, innocent be me, representation but... of your will. But it's like, if you want that, yeah. then you can make it happen with technology, essentially. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why people are clamoring for faster and faster things. They want their will to be fulfilled quicker and quicker. They might not think of it like that, because I never thought of it like that. That's kind of a, a weird way of looking at it. But I think it's, it's, at least has some bit of that. It's truth. Because what happens if you're, you're sitting there and you're watching your favorite show on your phone, and all of a sudden there's a, a signal disruption, and it cuts out, yeah. kicks you out of the app? For most people, they get downright angry. They're upset. They're, they're trying to get back into the app, yeah. and it's not going. It's like it's a disruption of their will to watch the show, and so they automatically get bombastic. You know, same same with TV. This is not just limited to phones, but yeah. phones specifically because of your instant access to the internet and all of the things that it entails. So, it's if you look at technology and advancement, human advancement as a whole, it's almost like you can trace the theme of people trying to satisfy their will quicker and more easily and more cost effectively. Maybe that's not the the best representation of what was going on, but there's a there's a common thread that follows pretty close. You know, it's like uh, look at modern stuff. Like, okay, I don't want to clean my own house because it's inconvenient, so we're gonna get a Roomba, which is a robot that'll do it for me. It's like I get that, and manual labor is not cool. Yeah, but you know, if man's original purpose. One of man's original purposes was to work. That was not a result of the fall. That was what we were created for, was to work. And yet we're finding lots of convenient ways to either pay people a pittance to do the work for us or to, to skirt our own responsibilities. Then uh, we're, we're kind of... <laughs> we're sinning in a sense. You know, because we're, we're trying to get out of our original commitments. Yeah. You know, and anybody that does work for a living and, and that works regularly, they they realize the importance of work because man, it's it's healthy, and you get home and you're tired, but it's that good kind of tired that, that gives you the best kind of rest. Yeah, good work is fulfilling. I mean, it, it's it's a component to proper mental stability. I think is going and doing work. The work doesn't necessarily have to be physical, but it has to be regular. You know, it has to be consistent. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people, especially in America, that are lacking that. I'm not going to call anybody out at all, but there's there's a lot of people that just, you know, they'd rather sit around and uh, take welfare, for instance, when yeah. they could be working if they wanted to, but they just don't want to because their will is not to work. They'd rather be paid to do nothing. I mean, that's just like... You know, like being born in sin, 
it goes back to like the idea that you know so like if you go to the back to the phone idea you know it's, it's obvious I, I think it's one of the reasons why phones are so addictive especially compared to like computers is because they're fast Mm-hmm. They get you what you want, and it's like one quick, one click yeah, away. It's if I want to watch that YouTube video, boom, I'm there. Yeah. If I want to check my Twitter, boom, you know, yeah. it's it's whatever you want. Um, going over to the the whole work mentality is people now feel that someone else deserves to do the work for them, and they yeah. get the the prize, the pay for someone else's hard work. Yeah, they feel they are deserved something that they haven't earned. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what, especially. Now's generation does. I think it's kind of, you know, it's stupid. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's that, that thought process of deserving something. You know, like I deserve the fruits of my labor. or I deserve, you know, my yard to look good or for to live in a nice place. And if you look at scripture, people do not deserve anything. We don't even deserve our own lives at this point. So the fact that we're even alive is such a gracious gift. But... That is one of the greatest uh, twists that you know Satan and his demons can work in each of our minds, and it's something that's built in. It's it's you know from the moment we're born, this is something that goes on in our heads. But the idea that we are somehow important in our own sense and we're deserving of a number of things, um, you know, look at all the debates that are going on right now. That they're anticipating or they're they're trying to convince people that healthcare is a basic human right, like. If you're going scripturally, we have no rights at all. <laughs> we, yeah. have, we have the right to die for our own sins. I think the founding fathers were true in the sense that, yes, we God has been gracious to all of us in allowing us to live and to self-govern. So under those pretexts, how can we best govern ourselves that would be in keeping with you know the great commission and the commissions that he's given because he, he's given us multiple commissions not just the great commission when christ ascended because he never did uh release us from the original ones under adam and eve which was to you know uh populate the whole earth and to work he, and he never released us from any of those um so we, i think they did a good job under the the strictures that they're given in yeah. setting up american law but the fact that people nowadays are trying to expand that because of some inborn sense that they deserve something that they really don't, they're claiming it as an inborn right when, again, we don't have any true inborn rights in yeah. the, the Christian sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you have, like, like the Native Americans thinking they, you know, like you have the, the uh, I forgot what they're called. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I completely no. lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, you go back to the idea that, you know, everybody thinks they deserve something that they haven't earned. Um, they think that they should be paid for the wrongs that were done to, um, like, their ancestors mm-hmm. or their grandparents, whatever it may be, even if it wasn't directly under them they they did not have to suffer what others suffered right but they think they now deserve the reward for the suffering they did yeah and then they they uh, blast people's names and call people things in order to get what they want right they also rely on i would say a lot on the government handing them their paychecks every little thing right. especially with like covid now you know everybody wants their stimulus checks um Texas being, well, Texas is not the only state, I don't think, that's opened up 
There's been a couple. Yeah, I think there's been a few. So, you know, everybody lost their jobs. Some people um, accepted that they lost their jobs. Other people lost their jobs and went and looked for other jobs. Some people didn't lose their jobs. But, you know, um, as like the the leader of the family, you're supposed to, uh, you're responsible for your family. So you need to provide Mm -hmm. the food on the table, the house, and the roof over your head. And even if you got to go out there and, you know, work in bad environments or whatever, your goal is to provide for your family. Right. So. That's. And that's, part of that is a traditions deal, because there's definitely other cultures out there that, you know, it's completely opposite, where, like, the, the women are the, the breadwinners and the men are responsible for things of a spiritual nature and that kind of stuff. Um, but by and large, at least in America, you're absolutely right. That's kind of the crux of our issue is men are generally to be held responsible for the well-being of his family i know not every man has the either the capacity or even the ability to provide because yes you've got people that get injured at an early age and they cannot help themselves let alone their family but that's why originally there was always provision made for that that's why disability is a thing because they realized yeah if there's people that on no fault of their own they get injured and what are they going to do? They, they literally can't do hardly anything. Many of them were, were willing to work in the first place, and that's how they got their injuries. So that was a system that was set out for good reason. It's like, okay, if somebody gets injured to the point where they can't work, then we can provide for them. But those were generally people that had already been paying into the system before, so it was no net loss for supplying their money now. But you got so many people that have learned how to abuse that particular program where they go and sprain their ankle and they get a doctor's note and then all of a sudden they're handicapped yeah. and they can draw disability for the rest of their life. That's, it's not honest at yeah, the yeah. very, you know, bottom of that issue. Yeah. But, I mean, that's that's the whole point of the, the history of man is something is, is put out in an honest, honest way and then people learn how to abuse it. Or that's the history of America anyway. We didn't have so many of these problems until uh, FDR came along with his New Deal and created a lot of these social programs that were marketed under the heading of uh, insurance for the people, essentially. It, it wasn't insurance in the same way that we know it, like health insurance and whatnot. It was more of a, they called it a safety net. In case something happened to somebody, they were able to fall back and not be left behind. Well... Many, many times in secret meetings throughout our political history, it's been described as it really is, which it's a welfare system. And that that word does not scare people anymore, but it should, because welfare in its true sense and in the sense it has become is essentially what fueled the labor socialist parties of England and communism. I mean, that that's the crux of the issue. Well, we're going to take money from the productive and then give it to the unproductive until the productive get to the point where they don't see the benefit of their own labor and so they join the welfare system. And then you you really do create a communist system where every, the government forces everybody to work and since nobody's really seeing the full benefit of their own labor, they just nosedive in productivity. Then nobody has anything. Yeah. It becomes a unanimous uh, poverty and the only people that have money or luxury are the, the government officials and the military. 
so I, I think that's kind of the path we've been we've been stair treading down to that every so often. I mean, I think our problem started earlier than FDR, but he he took a big chunk out of it, and then ever since, people have been whittling away at one our own freedoms, but also our own economic stability. Ever since, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. You know, everybody's like you were going back to uh, um, everybody's looking for like the easy way out you know a like, uh, get rich quick yeah type stuff you know they're looking for the loopholes where they can do the job but with the least amount of effort but the most amount of reward yeah and i think that's i mean most people tend to think like that i kind of think like that but i don't purposely seek it out um i don't know it, it could be the idea of like i mean well, we know money is very, like, people are greedy. Mm-hmm. Money is a very um, satisfying thing to have. Yeah. And it's very good to have because you can do a lot of things with your money. So, um, and as we see, I want to say this, uh, most, not most people, but there's a lot of people who prove that they're in it just for themselves. Yeah. So they're willing to hurt you physically, mentally, you know, like, if they did wrong, they'll they'll put the blame on you. You you, you lose your job. Yeah, blame shifting is really big. Yeah. In every or industry. whatever they can do to get a raise or get up on the ladder. Yeah. Um, I think that's just how people see things, and I think it's easier to it's it's hard to turn away from that. Mm-hmm. I think it's very like because you can't. It's a very <laughs> like satisfying thing to think about and to get in the mindset thinking, oh, I'm going to do this to get me there. Yeah. Screw everybody else. Shoot, even even things that seem unselfish when not done in the proper manner are selfish. Like, people will often say, well, you know, I'm not selfish because I, I try and get all this stuff for my family, you know, for my wife or for my kids. But it's it's your family, your kids, so you're really looking out for your interests when doing those things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's pure selfishness. And, again, that goes back to that original sin of pride because they – you know, selfishly looking after, I want to do my own thing. I want to do what I think is best for me. That's textbook selfishness. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you cannot solve the issue of selfishness by yourself. You might think you are, but it doesn't work. No amount of charity can get rid of it because if you have it, you automatically, you're like giving yourself a treat every time you, you're charitable. You're like, look at how good I am. Look at what I yeah. am doing. It, it's feeding your own ego. That's why the only way you can get rid of it is through Christ, because it ultimately boils down to getting rid of the self. You have to kill the self in order to take on Christ, yeah. to pick up your cross and follow him. And that is how that's killed. But through the the secular world, you can't fix it. So <laughs> that's what a lot of people's problems is. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I had like a a teacher back in high school, and you know, he wasn't... Well, I don't know what he is now, but he wasn't any religious type. He just believed in a type of higher power. And he said, and somebody asked him, I didn't ask him this, but I was there, and they were like, what do you think happens when you die? Or how do you think you're going to get to heaven or the right place, not the wrong place? And he said, you know, um, hopefully I do enough good deeds compared to my bad deeds. Right. So, so, so I have better system. Yeah, so I have more good than I bad, so that puts me on the, the, the elevator up. And I think that's, like, what everybody does is they only look at the good things they do. 
And then they only do the good things to promote themselves, whether it's in this life, next life, to look good for your friends, your family, whatever. And the problem is, I don't think a lot of people look at, like, I mean, it's good to do good things, yeah. But obviously not to do it out of the selfishness with just yourself. But I think it's good to also know your wrongs. You need, to, you need to understand what are you doing wrong in order to fix that. Because just doing these goods, it's never going to get rid of those wrongs. Yeah. Those wrongs are still going to haunt you or be there or whatever. Yeah. Well, shoot, after um, King David's big sin with Bathsheba, um, one of the Psalms, and I can't remember which one it was, but it's essentially his lamentation about that fact when he's confronted about it and he realizes the full extent to which his sin affects himself as well as others it's just like that psalm gushes out like god my sin is ever before me like i cannot get rid of this looking at my wrongdoing yeah and it's like that's probably how all of us should be treating it uh, any of our sins like when, once we do something bad our first instinct is to try and forget it and the human mind is not designed to forget so the best we can do is to try and drown it out through things and that's why drug problems are a big deal, and you know, alcohol, and well, you name it. Yeah. Uh, people try and use the trick their brain into ignoring their yeah. own sin, and everybody's guilty of that to some extent. It's it's not good. Uh, well, it is good in an eternal sense, but it's not pleasant to focus on your own wrongdoing because if you're with your own wrongdoing alone with no chemical buffer. It's extremely painful. Yeah, you don't you don't let it hold you back yeah. from moving on. But you definitely recognize it and look for a way, how can I fix this? Like, well, if you have that? Christ, yeah. you're golden. Because once you've repented and, and lived by faith after that moment, you're absolved of it. Uh, it's like they were talking about in church today. It's like you're, the weight of that sin that you lug around with you everywhere is picked up. And Christ takes it on. Yeah, that that weight he carried from every sinner that has ever lived was far heavier than the cross he had to bear. But he, he took that from you. So you shouldn't have to live under that weight anymore so long as you're repenting and living by faith or trusting in him. It's the same difference, but yeah. words get a little mixed up these days. But yeah, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true, I think. No, I agree. It's not bad. You, what were you reading? You said you were reading C.S. Yeah. Lewis? C.S. Lewis's uh, The Problem of Pain, which is, it's a lot deeper than mere Christianity in terms of how deep he gets into certain issues. Um, it's fascinating, but gosh, he's got some meta issues in there that were just like, it was kind of freaking me out. Cause, like his own issues that he talks about? No, no, I'm talking or about like, like things where he'll talk about it and I go, man, I'm, I'm guilty of that, and I didn't even realize it. Like one, of, one of the issues he was talking about is, is people that pursue things of religion, um, sometimes they do it with the pretext that they're trying to learn more about God, but in a greater sense, they're trying to do it just to satisfy their own um, mental stimulation, essentially. Like they, they get more value out of thinking about the issues than they do about actually trying to glorify God by it. I was thinking, 
yeah, that might be me. If, if I'm being truly honest, because yeah. I, I really do enjoy like thinking about these deep problems. But when I read that, I had to stop for a second and go, well, am I really doing this just to, to have a thought experiment, to, to think about the things more than actually try and use them? Yeah. Probably in most of the cases. I'm pretty sure I've done that. So. Yeah. But it's it's true. It, it's true that he's done a lot of thinking. He's he's a great thinker on the issues, and his illustrations on topics are second to none. Because uh, he's, I think he's seen a lot of things. He talked to a lot of people. He studied the word for years and years. I, I think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the issue of <laughs> we we probably need not be uh, concerned when people are out there cursing God and shaking their fists at him. It's not a good thing to get in in uh, the habit of for sure, and it's a it's a terrible affront to God. But we shouldn't take that as a you know that God's going to be uh, devalued at all, or that they could do any real damage to God because it's the same thing. A, a person out there shaking their fist at God, it's the same thing as a, a character in a book trying to challenge the author. It's like, that, there's no way that character can leap off the page and do yeah. any damage. Yeah. The worst that could happen is the author getting a paper cut, and they'd probably want to have to have that in the first place. So it's like, anybody that's out there cursing God, they're doing that with the power that God gave them in the first place. So it's actually kind of, uh, it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But like you know, there are a thousand little things he goes into that are really fascinating and is very mentally stimulating to poor little old sinful me. There you go. Um, but he's very good author. I, I just finished reading in there. He had a passage that I'm not a hundred percent on board with in terms of I don't think it happened exactly this way. But he gave a essentially a an allegory about how man could have fallen in the first place that went back to the the issue of pride yeah like because he the way he was trying to present it was in a sense before man fell there was no temptation essentially there, there couldn't have really been um because of the perfect fulfillment that adam and eve would have had through their relationship to god and walking with him daily and conversing with him so the issue of temptation wouldn't have been exactly the same as the way that we face it, where we're already fallen and the, you know, we've already gone over the, the edge of the slope. Where now we're on the downward. Yeah. Um, so he was trying to create a picture in which man could have still sinned, but without necessarily that temptation. It would have been a, an act of pure selfishness out of the, the moniker of temptation. That's not the right word for it, but essentially that, that's what yeah. he was trying to... But yeah, it was called the you know, the Paradisal Man. And I probably shouldn't get into the particulars of it because it would take a while, but essentially he was talking about how God could have set up a person ahead of time and then imbued them with like consciousness. Pride. Okay, consciousness. Yeah, and then it would have been a truer consciousness that even we know... Um, and again, this is all speculation on his part. I, I don't think it happened exactly this, this way at all. But, you know, it would have been a truer consciousness where he would have been in greater communion with God. And he would have been far more lucid and aware of everything that was going on. Like, the, the way he was describing it is that 
our own minds, it's almost like you, you have to shine a spotlight on whatever you want to think about in your own mind. Like you can only focus on one little thing at a time. Whereas with that paradisal man, it would have been, you know, aware of everything at one instance. He, yeah. he would have had complete control out of, uh, out of all the little functions of his body. And he would have completely understood it at that time. And that was kind of the thing he was going into. It's like he would have been a near perfected or a perfected person. And that's before the whole yeah, before the apple. Fall. Yeah. Okay. That, um, that, that wouldn't, I mean, that, that's an interesting idea. It, just, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. Then Again, it, I don't think then he it would constantly, like, well, I guess he already knew. Like, I don't know. You can go back and forth on that. But, like, then eating the apple it would be a very conscious decision. Yeah. Well, Purposely and, going against it. It'd be like, oh, I'm going to do it. Yeah, the reason why I don't ascribe exactly to... I think some of the elements he got at were very, very true, maybe. Like, I'd, I'd have to let they you had, read it. Yeah, they had a certain amount of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it, it probably would have been much greater. I, I have a feeling that uh, Adam and Eve were incredibly more intelligent than we could... And they went down when they ate the animal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I kind of agree with that. And they might have even retained much of that intelligence, but just the lucidity that they had, I'm sure it was much greater than what we could have possibly imagined. It could have, it could have like made their minds, obviously, what do you call it, like, foggy, so you couldn't tell the difference between, well, not you couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong, right. but it was easier to do a wrong and not notice it as easily. Well, they were they were poignantly aware of right and wrong especially because that was the whole issue it was yeah. like they they ate the apple and they gained the knowledge yeah, yeah they knew and again one of the reasons why i don't fully ascribe to his allegory is because he even says this it's like the the issues he was trying to confront was with a sort of a, a shortened cut down version of the fall story because there at his time there were two main ways of viewing it one as if it was pure myth but the the truth behind the myth was true like completely true so it's like it was the the story of adam and eve was an allegory to begin with is what that camp of thought was and it was just you know the myth things represented different points and then the other camp was the one where it was a true account and the things that happened in genesis were actually factual to every degree so as far as we could figure out uh, and then it did involve a physical fruit and a physical tree and a physical serpent. So the the issues he was arguing with was that mythos one, where he was confronting what could have been in those issues. But he, he lays out, he says, there there is definitely something going on with the fruit and with the serpent and with the tree of good, uh, tree of life and then the tree of good knowledge of good and evil yeah. that he did not address because he wasn't, he didn't feel prepared or, or what do you it, knowledgeable enough, enough. Yeah, yeah. To, to confront those issues. So again, it's like, I think there's more going on than what he confronted. But it's yeah, it's fantastic to, to think about. Yeah, the man that was created before the fall would have probably been far superior in every no, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I tend to believe the like actual representation of the Genesis account being real. Yeah. Where it was like actually a person named Adam and actually somebody named Eve, and they actually ate an apple. <laughs> Doesn't even say apple. We don't even know what. Yeah, we don't it know was. what it is. People love to think of it as an apple. That's but... probably that's like the basic fruit, though. Yeah, yes. probably was a pear. Yeah, yeah, it probably I was hate pears. a banana. <laughs> a banana. <laughs> the, the cursed fruit. It's a peach. 
Dude, it was a pineapple. Mm. You know how hard those things are to eat? <laughs> they really had to work at sitting. <laughs> sit there for days trying to open that thing without <laughs> God, your, your what, what are you doing over there, Adam? <laughs> I'm back. Eve? Come back. I'll be done in a minute. But oh, yeah, so yeah. it's... But the whole thing he was trying to say was that it's like you can, you could at that time uh, perhaps sin in that sense without necessarily being tempted. It, it could have been like Satan whispering to him, like, hey, you know, all this good stuff that you've got, like you can do it on your own if you really wanted to because look at all the, the gifts God has given you. He wouldn't say it like that. Look at all the things that you can do. Yeah. You can do this on your own and not be... You know, beholden to God essentially, and that was the. Same. I think. I think there's a. I think they could have been tempted, because we know Lucifer, the what do you want to call it, this the serpent mm-hmm. was in the garden. You know, at the the oh, tree. I think, right. I, I think yeah. he might have had the ability to roam free, yeah. which means the only reason he'd be roaming is to tempt yeah. or to make the others fall. There would be no other reason for him to be anywhere else. Yeah, so I, I think that would be something that I could have, have been something about. that happened. He could have been working on them for. For a long time. X amount know. of time. And we then know, finally it happened. We know for certain he practiced deceit in there because he twisted the words that Eve knew God said. Because she misspoke, and then Satan immediately took those words and twisted them further to you know, get rid of the whole issue of the problem of eating yeah. the fruit. Um, gosh, I'm to pull up exactly what she said, but you know, the whole issue was you're not to eat of the fruit or you will surely die. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold on. trying to figure out what he said after that yeah because that was actually what God said and yeah. there is a sense in which um, the first sin falls directly on Adam because it's man's responsibility to teach what God says yeah. that's why you know in our own families the man is the head of the household in matters of religion is because you know that that's kind of the responsibility that was passed to us. It kind of it falls down the the hierarchy. Again, it's not saying that men are superior in any way, but they were given that responsibility first. And so there's a sense in which, in the original creation account, Adam didn't really do that great of a job of teaching Eve the exact words that God said about the tree because she misspoke. So whether she knew it or not, or she just wasn't remembering at the time. That was what let Satan to have an fall. in to, yeah. to sort of twist those words about. Uh, let's see if I can. Didn't he say, like, it's just, a, he said something, I can't remember. He doesn't even say something like, it, it's just a suggestion to not eat. A suggestion not to eat? Because he tries to twist the words. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the essence without getting into the actual wording of it the essence of it was eve said well you're surely gonna die on the day that you eat of it um and the serpent of course was like oh no no you're not gonna die god just said that because you'll you know you'll become like him yeah you'll gain knowledge you know he was it was sort of like that half truth speaking because he's technically right they would gain the knowledge of good and evil he just left out the the negatives yeah the fact that they really did die and the fact that they were cut off from the goodness of God, yeah, and they gained the ability to die. A whole lot more. And that's another thing that not very many people talk about, but the fact that God told them 
that they would die on the day of, that they ate of the tree implies that they also fully understood what death was. You know, that's that's something that they could comprehend. So even before they committed that first sin, they, they understood what the risk was. Yeah. So there wasn't any of this like, oh, well, what could death possibly be? Maybe it's not that bad. It's like, no, they fully understood what that implied, and they went ahead with it anyway. Yeah. And while it wasn't a death in the, the situation or the the way they thought, it was a much worse thing. Being separated from the love of God is a, a curse, <laughs> most foul. Yeah. But it was a curse that they placed on themselves. Oh, I agree. Uh, we've never really talked about Adam and Eve before. <laughs> That's something good to talk about because there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So I gotta find that. Are you still looking for it? Yeah. Oh, here's the fall. Oh, did you find? Okay, so now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden." But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So that's where she messed up. Because God only said, If you eat it, you will die. Not that if you also touch it. So that was his end. So he pretty much got her to touch it. And she realized it looked good and it looked tasty. And she could touch it without dying. Therefore, God must have lied. And if she ate it, she wouldn't die. And that was how he twisted it. Um, so that's why getting God's word and trying to, to quote it word for word as much as possible is important because it can be twisted yeah. quite easily. Um, People are always taking the word out of context now. Mm-hmm. That's also interesting now I'm just thinking about it. That's essentially kind of what the Pharisees were doing. They weren't twisting God's word so much as they were creating additional laws on top of what God did and Craig in the church may be correct in in that the original reason for doing so was one of pure intentions. Like he, you know, he was they talking were, about people trying like to, do to the get right, right up to the edge of sin, yeah. walk right up next to the line, but don't cross. Yeah. yeah, and that's a terrible place to be. And so his idea is that the Pharisees, seeing that and seeing people's proclivity to get right up next to sin, created rules that backed people up fifty feet. So it's like if you get within fifty feet of that line. Then you're committing a, you know, you're breaking the yeah. rules, you're breaking the law. It's like, okay, I can see that, but as soon as you shift that goalpost, then that, you know, the, the new 50 feet away becomes the line of sin that people walk. And I think if you're t- going about intentions, that God understands the issues of the heart. And so people that walk right up to that line that's placed 50 feet away from the real line, they're essentially committing the same sin. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's about where their heart is. They realize that they don't want to get over that line, but man, they're going to get as close to it as possible. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the whole issue that the Pharisees were creating these rules and then enforcing them as if they were God's law, God's doctrine, that was the big issue. Um, th- there was other issues that the Pharisees had, such as um, hypocrisy. You know, they would hold people to a certain standard, and then they themselves would not hold to it. Uh, they weren't teaching the full fullness of God's law. They were just yeah. their, their own traditions, mostly. And then the love in which they professed, they were not acting out. You know, it, 
that preach all these lofty ideals, but then they were the ones that inevitably had Christ crucified. Like, they were breaking every rule in the book. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. I haven't... I don't know a lot about the Pharisees, though, so... Granted, I'm uneducated. No, I am, too. <laughs> I only remember so much, because Mr. Davis broke down the different groups that were present in the, uh, the, the first century. Pharisees were probably the largest of the religious law bearers. But, of course, you also had the Sadducees and the, um, the Essenes and then the Zealots. So those were the four main groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees being the largest two among those. The Essenes were cool. I liked the Essenes. They had their problems, but they were, they were cool. I would have been an Essene. <laughs> or maybe a Zealot. I don't know. As far as I understand, the Essenes were of the belief. They were almost like Vikings. Where you uh, you believed God had your uh, your life plan pre predestined out, Pre-destined. so it's like whenever you were gonna die, that's when you were gonna die. Yeah. And so, and the same with the zealots. It's like they they become warriors. And it was like guys going out there into battle completely fearless because it's like, well, if God wants me to die, I'll die, and that's okay. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it's like woo. <laughs> I could see you. I can see you. Uh, yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> Same with the zealots. The zealots were different in the fact that they were fighting the Romans. So they believed it was the God-given moral right to purge Jerusalem and overall Israel from the, the Roman influence. Because they felt like that had to happen before you know, the, the fullness of Israel could be raised up again by the Messiah. So... Um, I think I think it was Peter, you know, God, uh, Christ's favorite. <laughs> I think he was a zealot before he was. Him. Yeah, he still was a practicing zealot at the yeah. time he was a disciple. But like, that's why he was always so like ready to grab up a sword and go fight in the name of Christ. And yeah. He was always like, "Nah, don't, don't. <laughs> we're not here to fight right now. <laughs> Just hang on." <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know. That's about it on that. Yeah. I don't know what else we talk about now. We're done. Yeah. Are we done with this? You looked looked at the list, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I guess we're done on that. Uh, We talked about... There might be one or two things on there we haven't, but we talked about all that. Yeah, we didn't talk about the... The the Virgin Mary. That was the only one I could think of. I think everything else, at one point or another, we've already brought those up. Yeah. That one's... That one's... We could just save that anyways. We could, <laughs> we'll save that for for some time yeah. of reckoning. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not as knowledgeable on that one as I should be. I I'm guess. not. That, in fact, that was something that in mere Christianity, Lewis stayed as far away from as possible. He's like, Maybe we should too. <laughs> some, like, if you talk to Catholics, they believe that is absolutely essential to their doctrine. But they don't believe it exactly the way that we think they believe it. Hmm. And then Christians are over here, and they believe that, you know, well, if you're praying to Mary, you're praying to someone who isn't God, and therefore it's technically idolatry. And so it gets into a very confusing position very, very fast. And in order to do it any sort of justice, you have to know where both sides are coming from. Um, I've debated some Catholics before, and that issue we always sort of skirted around because that one's very close to the the heart for them. Um, a lot of the things that the the Catholics believe are interesting because I I feel that they're kind of 
it's almost like a, a pharisaical thing where they're taking the word of God and they're tacking on additional things. Because um, the Catholics don't just have the Bible as a reference. That's the core of their belief. But they also have the Catholic canons, which are all of these other books. One, they're, they're things that have come out of the writings and the sayings of the Pope, which they believe he's you know, set in his position by God to begin with. So all the things he says are you know, dictated and written down as God's word. But then you've got additional things that they, they include as fact, spiritual fact, which we don't. One of those books comes up from time to time at our church, which is the Maccabeans, uh, which they treat as scripture. We do not. But we treat it as history because it was written at the time of the, the Maccabean War. And it, it's very, very accurate in terms of its history, but we don't believe it's inspired. Yeah. But So a lot of the things they, they treat as God's word really isn't in terms of what we're concerned with. Yeah. But I think, because I mean, it's it's strange to me I've never gotten any of them to admit this, but it's strange that they believe all these additional things, like, you know, you have to confess to a human, to a priest, in order for your sins to be absolved. And they have to tell you, yeah, your sins are forgiven. Um, and you've got the, the holy water and the, the sprinkling of people. And, the Pope. Yeah, by the Pope. And, you know, their early traditions were also strange, such as only doing masses in Latin. And you've got the, the importance of incense burning to them. And you've got all these... And the, the emphasis on the death of Christ over the resurrection of Christ. That's perhaps the biggest difference between the two. Because if you watch, all of the, the Catholic symbology in the churches is always Christ on the cross. You've know, you got people that have the crucifix, which is a little, little Christ on the yeah. cross that they wear. Whereas the Christian symbolism is all the empty cross, which is symbolic of the fact that the death has already happened and the resurrection has happened. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer dead. Um, that's, yeah, the, the biggest difference between the two. Um, they, they have a lot of theological differences, too, that are behind the scenes that they don't really talk about. Um, purgatory is a real big thing for them. Of course, you know, they, they, won't, they believe that if you don't pay for it here, you got to pay for it somewhere. Whereas in our doctrine, we don't believe in a purgatory because Christ has already paid for the sins anyway. Some people, some Christians do believe in purgatory. There's though. some, that, and there's denominations. I know people who believe in purgatory. I just, I can never fall yeah. into it. I was like, logically, it just doesn't add up to me. Right. Well, and if we were to believe anything in the Christian faith, uh, I think the thing that has the most merit is the, the Pauline idea that any sin that you have here is pretty much paid for here like thing things will happen to you that you can't you get know, into heaven with sin well right i mean the sin yeah. is paid for by christ yeah but if you live in sin unrepentant sin here then things will start happening to you that are kind of inconvenient and in a sense you will be paying for them you won't be paying for them fully because the penalty for sin is death. But it's the whole idea that, yeah, things are going to happen to you if you're living constantly in unrepentant sin. And it's usually going to be a spiral down into, you know, something you might lose your job. Might, you know, I'm, I'm not bad. capable of telling all the things that could happen to you, but it's none of it yeah. good. So it's like I ascribe to that in a sense. I think that's true. 
if we're not doing what we're supposed to, then we will be suffering for it. Yeah. And then we'll also be fleeing from the only person that could stop the suffering. So it makes it doubly worse. But I think we'll suffer if we're doing the right thing too. But it'll be a, a proper and justified suffering, one that we could actually get some credit for in essence. Yeah. Because, gosh, what was that? As a, a scripture where I think it was Christ that was talking about how, uh, no, no, it must have been Paul. Essentially, it was like, if you're suffering but for the wrong reasons, then it's no credit to you. But if you're suffering for the right reasons and you're doing it in line with what Christ has taught, then that is added to you. You know, that's, that's building up your treasure in heaven. Yeah. But if you suffer because of something you did, so I think that the, the illustration was used as if you were serving under a master and you did something wrong, you know, you purposefully did something wrong and he beat you for it, then that was your fault. You deserve that punishment. And if you if you bear that punishment well, it's no credit to you. But let's say you did everything correct as a servant of the master and he still beat you. That is credited towards you because you did everything correct and you did everything as you were supposed to. So that's kind of the how we should approach that issue. It's like yeah. if we suffer and we're not doing anything wrong and we're living in accordance with God's truth, then that's probably an attack by the enemy trying to uh, get us to turn away from what we're doing. And so we're probably doing all right. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, something I want to bring up. It's like a short topic, but, you know, I watch a lot of TikTok now because I'm really bored. Yeah, good right. on TikTok. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool stuff on there, though. Yeah, there's a lot creative of, people. A lot of good and a lot of bad. Uh, <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> But, no, I was watching this TikTok, and there was this video of this pastor, and he was talking about suicide. Mm-hmm. Now, the pastor, it's a clip of the pastor, and then somebody else copied and pasted it, and then he, like, wrote text on it, and they were giving their advice or whatever on it. Yeah. So, the pastor was talking about suicide. And he was talking about, and I forgot what he said. He said something like, it basically, like, just because you commit suicide, you could still go to heaven. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But the person... Who copied and pasted it and was giving their personal opinion on it was someone else to follow, and and in a text it said, um, "You cannot go to heaven if you, if you, it's like you cannot go to heaven if you commit suicide, because when you become a um, a follower of Christ, those thoughts leave your mind." And I'm like, that's not how that works. Not exactly. You no. could still do a lot of bad things. Yeah. So I agree. I was like, and I looked at the comments. Everybody was like, "Yo, this kid's wrong." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, uh, I, that's was like, I was like, thing. this kid's like got a good following. You probably shouldn't be running your mouth on something like that. That's, well, that's, that that could ruin a lot of people. Yeah, that's orthodoxy in the Catholic Church. They believe if you commit suicide, you are going straight to hell. Yeah. Because you, they, they consider killing yourself essentially an unforgivable it, it, sin because it, you can't confess it. I think it's a sin, just not a, like unforgivable. Right. Yeah. I think it is too because it's you're the taking same as your murder, own life in your an hands. innocent life, and it just yeah. happens to be your own. Yeah. Because you're, yeah. you're taking, you're trying to erase God's control of your life. You yeah. Know? And I get all the reasons why somebody would want to. It's not just like, yeah, I hate you, God. Bye. Like that's that's not how that usually works. Yeah. Um, but I get how some people could see that. I think it's absolutely wrong. But yeah, the whole Catholic idea is. If you have to confess your sins to another, like to a priest, oh, in order yeah. to be absolved of them, then you can't do that if you kill yourself, therefore you're going to hell. 
It's the one sin that you can't be forgiven of because you couldn't. Because you're dead and you can't yeah. repent against it. Yeah. No. I think I yeah, the whole Catholic idea of confessions is something that was born about out of a right idea, but the fact that they've emphasized it must be to an actual person. I think that's where the wrong idea comes in because you can't yeah. your sins cannot be forgiven by man alone. The only person that could have ever done that was Christ. He's not here right now, so not not leave in the physical you, we'll, sense. We'll leave you on hold. No, so you know that that idea is out the window. It, the fact that they still hold on to it, I think it has to do with the Catholic canons. Yeah. Right. So many of those contradict what's actually in the Bible, though, and they don't see it. They just layer over them. And yeah, well, you don't want to admit you're wrong, yeah. so. That's like the worst thing to do. It sucks when you say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm wrong most of the time. So. I'm wrong more than you, though. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, well, that's about it. I don't know. Gosh, there, there had yeah, to be like, something. Else. I wish I could have remembered what what that. Yeah, you were, I know you. Were, yeah. See, that's always the problem. Like, I I know I I thought of like two different things over this week, and I never wrote them down, and now I just can't think of it. And it's like now it's gone. So. I don't know. But yeah. You have like one of those notebooks or whatever, right? Like notes or yeah. on your phone so you can write it down. Yeah. That's usually pretty useful to me. So. Yeah, and I almost never write things down. <laughs> I got one. And have I you ever wrote anything down? As far as topics go, maybe once or twice. Okay. What do you write? Other stuff? Yeah. Little like <laughs> I got in the habit of starting to write down like little colloquialisms that come to mind from time to time, but that's that's the part the extent hey, of what I write down. Hey, each their own. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we should end it. I don't I know. probably should. If so. we run out of things, and we're just gonna putter along like this for a while. Uh, when we had that whole politics, was like, yeah, we don't got time for politics. No, we, don't. we never have time for politics. I don't want to. I don't want to trash talk people today. No, we'll just we'll leave it. <laughs> Leave it as it is before people start hating us. Awesome. Um, uh, any last words for us, David? Uh, yes, as always, boing. Boing. <laughs> straight. And... Yeah, we need to look into that you yeah, know, That thing straight. I was talking about. Yeah. The, yeah. That's something. The stuff on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. We'll do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, catch y'all later. See ya.